as, as we enter in this time in the Word, I want to go backwards with you, if you will, with me. As we looked at where we've come so far in this Scripture time together, um, all along this month we've been in line with what we have uh, now coined the term as the Great Commission. It's the moving that Jesus leads the disciples. He, he gives them a, a job to do, a task to accomplish, and he invites them to do what they've been doing with him all over the world. He encourages them to go, to reach the nations. He tells them to be bold in their approach, to go throughout everywhere they are and to take what Jesus has invested in them and to spend it into the lives of people. Our job is to fill up each week on a Sunday so that Monday through Saturday we're expensing all that God has poured into us. It's very important, and that's why Christ builds the church, that we continuously go back for refilling. Because when you don't, you will grow spiritually poor. And that is a bad place to find yourself when God is asking you to pour into the lives of others. That's why we need to spend the time in the Word. That's why we need to spend time in prayer. That's why we need the fellowship of church. Because all those things pour into what God wants to expense out to your fellow workers, to your classmates, to your neighbors— Jesus is still in the world-changing business. You know, long after he ascended into heaven, he never stopped his work. He just started to hire more workers, and you're a part of that. So let's turn in Scripture together uh, to Matthew 28 this morning as we look at the Scripture um, of our day. Uh, some of y'all know that we've been here this, this whole month, and you may say, we're ready for some new Scripture. I want you to camp with me one more day in this passage of Matthew 28, starting at the 16th verse. The disciples have traveled to the place that Jesus asked them to go. Uh, they've gathered together. They saw him and worshiped. We get the line, but still some doubted, which I find is still probably one of the hardest scriptures to wrap our minds around. Um, there's so many of us in this room that have seen Jesus move so many times, and we still have the same doubt, don't we? And so we have these moments where we don't believe that Jesus can do what Jesus can do. And he is calling on us to say, listen, have some faith. Believe. God can do things that we seem to believe that he's limited to. And, and you may have this trust that Jesus can help you through the flu, but not through cancer. You may have a, a feeling that Jesus can help you on a test, but he can't help you on a family matter. We have to believe that Jesus can do what Jesus can do no matter the size or scope. Jesus is big enough, powerful enough, and strong enough, and smart enough. He is everything that we need to sustain our lives. Lest we forget the scripture that tells us that consider the lilies of the valley. Like, look at the flowers of the fields. They don't have to worry about anything. Jesus takes care of them. God knows them. What about the birds of the air? They, they can't even prepare for themselves. God takes care of them. How much more would God take care of those who are crafted after him? That is the greatest thing that you need to know today. Maybe the takeaway you need to take with you is this. God cares for people more than birds. He cares for people more than flowers. He cares for people more than rocks. God cares for people because there is one creation created in his image to give him glory and that's you so he desperately loves you in fact he didn't come to die for the sins of dogs i've got a fantastic dog at the house of all the dogs in the world that jesus would die for it would be our hank 
But listen, he didn't come to die for the sins of Hank. He came to die for the sins of men. He came to change your world. And he did so. Now he's waiting for you to accept it and then to go and change the world yourself. You can be a part of that, and you should. So here we go, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came near, and I love that part. It's something we miss in this passage. We always have this version of Jesus standing up on a rock and everyone down at his feet and him proclaiming. But in this moment, he pulls really close to them. There's a nearness in this passage. And he says this, all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Today, I want you to memorize two words. Never alone. Never alone. Say it with me. Never alone. One more time. Never alone. You are never alone. He is with you always, which means he is there in the good times and in the bad. He is there when you love when he's there and times that you wish that he wasn't. He is always with you. You know why? Because we need his empowerment. We need his help. We need his strength. We need his drive. We need him spiritually and we need him physically. There is not a part of who you are that you don't need God. There is no reason why medically we, we exist at all. How is it that our skin can sweat but not completely lose all the fluids out of our body? How is it that our heart beats, we take in breath, our eyes can see, our hair grows? How is it that our fingernails work? How is it that we're even alive at all? You know why? Because we have a God that makes it happen. People are marveled. I heard that there's an argument. There's a group out there that are called the Flat Earthers. Have you all heard about this? There are people now that are gathering in convention centers all over our nation and around the world for that matter, declaring that the world is not round but flat. And they, they have this flat uh, you know, kind of thing, and then there's like a dome over the top, and they said, that's what the earth really looks like. Then we got these guys from NASA that are like, <laughs> nope. Uh, we've been in space. We've seen it turn. It doesn't work like that. And people are like, oh, those are all a hoax. Let me just tell you this. There's going to be people in your very life tomorrow that are going to say to you, that God thing is a hoax. But you and I, who have been encountered by a holy God, know for a fact, we've seen it with our eyes, we've experienced it in our lives. God is not a hoax. He's alive and well, and he's living in me. How about you? I tell you, we, uh, we started last year kind of talking about how do we get testimonies to be a part of our church world. We wanted them to be powerful. We wanted people to have the opportunity to say, can I re-say that? And so we sat down with a few people at the end of last year. We're going to continue uh, here and there showing you testimonies of the people of our church. But we started with Jason's for a reason. Jason's my friend. And I love the dude. And I believe his testimony is our testimony. I believe that without Jesus as a part of our lives, we struggle so mightily to do what Jesus has always called us to do. In this moment, as Jesus brings the disciples near him, he's not telling them to do something revolutionary. He's telling them to do something that's very elementary. Go and tell people about me and show them how to do it. That's what he's saying. 
We do that every day with our children. We send them to school with people that not only tell them how to do it, but show them on a board or put their hands to it. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I went into biology and I had to dissect a frog. Any of y'all have that wonderful experience of dissecting a frog? Wasn't that glorious? They all smelled like formaldehyde. Y'all remember this? You got them out of the bag and you're like, oh, awesome. I'm, I'm going to get to look at this all day today. And your teacher would say, now you're going to cut like this and you're like, I'm not. I'm out. Show me a picture. When I was growing up in church, everything I remember about Bible was in pictures. We had sweet little old ladies that always taught my classes growing up, and they would put up a flannel graph. Y'all remember the flannel graphs? And they'd start to tell the stories of great people of the Bible. Ruth, and she'd put Ruth up on the board. You go, oh, that's what Ruth looked like. Put up Boaz. Ah, that's what he looked like. Were y'all with me? Some of y'all, that's how we remembered Scripture, and that's what they look like. Jesus always looked like a, a man from England with long hair. And we had these pictures, right, that have always played in our heads. But somewhere along the line, Jesus knew that people would be more engaged with pictures than they are with putting their hands to it. And he could have completely lost the disciples in these next few moments. I mean, he was leaving the future of the gospel into the hands of fishermen and tax collectors and broken people. And his last words could have been something like this. It was a good run. I'm going to heaven. Hope I see you guys there. I'm done. I've accomplished everything I needed to do. And he could have gone. That would have been a good picture. But Jesus said, put your hands to it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So with that authority, I'm asking you guys, you 11 that are left, go. Go and make disciples of every nation. Baptize them like we were. Baptize them like I was, Jesus says, in the name of the Father. And then comes a very, very big word. The Son, that's Jesus, and in the Holy Spirit. We get again the threefold nature of God before these 11 men. And then he says this, teaching them, teach them everything I have commanded you. Huh, that's, that's not a heavy task. You imagine how many times the disciples heard something from Jesus that was controversial? Imagine how many times they stood next to a member of the Sanhedrin or a Pharisee and heard Jesus say something that they knew good and well they could never say. And Jesus is teaching them, go and teach them all everything that you've seen and heard. And what's more is show them how to put it into practice. To disciple them. Don't just teach them. Show them. And what does he start with? Does he start with teach them? No, he starts with disciple them. That's where you and I have got to fit into this story. You see, it's easier to teach someone about Jesus than it is to show them. You know why? Because there's a lot of things that we don't do that we wish we would. But Jesus is saying, go model it all and work. Work at it. 
work at it. Show people that you're working at it. Let me just tell you something that maybe you already know, but I want you to hear again. There is not a man behind a pulpit anywhere in the world today that isn't working on their faith. And if they're not, they don't deserve to be behind a pulpit. All of us need the same thing that you need. We need Jesus to forgive our sins, and we need the Holy Spirit to continuously work in our lives. If not, we should never stand next to one of these. We should never stand before you. So as I preach to you today and I talk to you about what to do, just hear me in this. I want my hands to be as dirty as yours when it comes to doing the work of Jesus. I want us to dive in together. You know why? Because as much as I love you as a church, Jesus loves you that much more. And he loves me. And together we can change the world. We should change the world. And it's not because it needs to look like us. It needs to look like him. That's why we've got to do the work. So as Jesus sends out to this 11 disciples, and he's like, listen, guys, all authority has been given to me, and with that authority, I'm handing it off to you. Here's the baton. Run with it. He says to them, all this authority that I have, all this greatness that's been built up, I'm giving to you to go and do the work. You've got what it takes. Disciple them. Teach them. Baptize them. And then he says something revolutionary because here's about to be a turning point in history because in the next few minutes, Jesus wouldn't physically be with them anymore. He says, and I'm with you always. Always. This has to be the deepest thing that you and I need today. So let's look at it. Number one, the Lord is never The Lord never sends us where he's not going. Never sends where he isn't going. It's impossible. You know why? Where is Jesus not at? Is there any place on the planet that Jesus can't go? Is there any place on the planet the Holy Spirit can't move? Is there any place on the planet that God hasn't formed? Is there? No. So you know what that means? Go. He's there. He's there. He's there. He's there in those troubling times. He's there in the good times. He's there when you're sorrowful. He's there when you're enjoying life. He is there in the moments that seem to take your breath away and the moments that seem gut-wrenching. He is there. It may seem hard and it may seem difficult to see him, but I promise you, he never is somewhere where you aren't. He is always there. He is always there. You know why? He is desperately in love with his creation. And you may say, I don't want to be anywhere near you. You're going to have to get away from me. And you know what he says? All right, go where I'm not at. That's where you can go where God's not at. Anywhere he's not. Try and find that place for me. I can promise you he's there. He's there in the darkest and in the most light up places. You know why? It's all his. It's all his. You're all his. Whether you believe in him today or not, you're all his. Which means this, he is a just God. And the fact that today, if our life ended and we didn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. If he is all that and today your life ended and you did not know Jesus as that way, you would spend eternity away from God. 
You know why? Because at that point, he can push away and will. But i got to tell you something. The world doesn't know what that feels like. The world doesn't know what it feels like to not have God. Because even the worst people on the planet have his provision. You know how I know? They draw breath. Their heart beats. Their eyes can see. Their ears can hear. There is nobody on the planet that can generate that or make that. Only a creator. You see, the world has never seen what it feels like to have an absence of God except for one man. And I believe we can claim that on the cross that Jesus says, Father, why have you turned your back from me? I believe in one moment, one man on our planet felt a separation. One man felt the full void of godlessness. i got to tell you something. As far as you feel from God today, he's there. He's always been there. He wants to speak into your life today. So this great commission moment, this moment as Jesus says, take this authority and run with it. Today, Jesus still declares that to his church. He still has the authority. He still is the way. And because of that, he still wants to change lives. Here's the problem. Christians tend to have a lack of evangelical movement. They, they, they rarely move any way of being evangelical, sharing their faith, because they're afraid they're the only one moving in that direction. If I go share my faith, no one else is going to do it, so why should I? You know why you should? For God so loved the world. He sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not simply perish but would have eternal life. Jesus died for us so we should give our lives for his. That's why. We should go not because everybody's running with us. We should run because Jesus died for us. If no one else shares their faith, you should. If no one else is faithful to the name of Jesus, you should be. This is the true devotion of a follower of Jesus. They would lay down their life willingly for the, for the cause of Christ because he so willingly laid down his life for us. We should all have our name written on a list that says, I will go. You name it, I will go. I will be there, and I want to share Christ where I go. I want to be involved in what he's involved in. I want to do what he asked me to do. I want to be active for him because I want him to know his life is worthy for me. The true cause of Christianity is this. Do people really believe that Jesus' life was worth it? Is your life declaring that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was worth it? Chronicles tells us something amazing. Talking about this desolation moment. You know, the people have been scattered, and it talks about how their sins have been overcoming their lifestyles, and, and they've all kind of started going backwards. And then it has this kind of pivotal point. It says, But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and pray, at that point I will hear from them will remove their sin and heal their land. Here's the issue with that today. Are you a Christian? 
Are you a Christian? Are you someone that would say, my name is attached to the name of Christ? I am a little Christ. That's what Christian means. I'm focusing on being like Jesus. If that is your marker, if, if in your name tag of description you would say, I mark Christian, if that is you, if you are people called by the name of Jesus, you must go. You have to. You know why? Because that's the calling of Christ on our lives. We have to go. We have to move. We have to do something for him, and it should be so desperate for us to do so. At some point, the church will reawaken I believe it with all my heart. I believe last week as we prayed, I could see those moments of reawakening where there's this movement that grows up from people that are focused on Jesus, where they say, I'm, I've got this insatiable desire to share what Jesus has done for me. The power of testimony is this, not that you do it from the stage, but that you do it from your workstations, your classrooms, the hallways you go down. Be Jesus everywhere, not just on Sundays. That is the calling of the church. Will we arise in moments that don't have a benediction? Will we be Christians on Monday just as strong as we are on the ones on Sunday? This is the calling of the church. As Jesus gives us a passion plea to go reach the nations, he's reminded of something. That it's easy to find ourselves in these little isolated moments to say, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I'm strong enough. God, I don't know if I have enough to share with someone. But let me just remind you, we only feel spiritually isolated when sin comes before connection. But when sin overpowers connection, we will go to our own strength, our own understanding, our own ways. Can you feel it yet? Can you feel that the church is being ripped away from culture instead of engaging culture with greatness and grace and love of Jesus? You know the difference between someone being won to Christ out of sin and being beaten to death by a church is Jesus. There's this moment where this woman is caught in the act of adultery. We don't know the full story will happen beforehand, but the leaders of the church find her in the act of adultery. They don't bring the man, by the way, just her. And they walk her out, and they stand her before Jesus. And they said, you know, Jesus, here's what the law says. This woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? And it says that Jesus bends down and begins to write something in the sand. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's the sins of the men that are there that day. Maybe he's asking the question, how did you know that she'd be committing adultery? Maybe he wrote, where's the man? Who knows what he wrote? All I know is as he writes, he then stands up and says, I agree, guys. So anybody in this room that doesn't have sin, you throw it first. And he waits. The rocks begin to drop, the crowd dissipates, and we just get this moment between the followers of Jesus, Jesus and this woman, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks, she goes, there aren't any, which was a lie, because who could have thrown the stone? Jesus. Did he have the right in the law to? Yes, who 
gave them that law? God, correct? Am I wrong, Old Testament? So was Jesus just to hurt her with a stone? Yeah, was Jesus just to kill her? Yeah. You know why in that moment? He was the one without sin. And he looks at her and he says this, nor do I accuse you. Stop doing this. Go and sin no more. You see, we have a desperate need in our culture that says this. Don't tell us what a sin is. Don't tell us how much you love us. We don't care about either. The call of the church is to say this. We know what sin is. We're going to show you what it means to love someone through it. But at the end of this conversation, we don't want you to stay in it. We're not okay with that. We're constantly working on our own sin. Come join us. That's the call of the church. Go therefore into all nations, discipling them. Show them. Don't yell at non-Christians and tell them how how desperately they're going to go to hell. Show them how much you long for heaven and how your life's pointing towards it. That will win them. That's what wins, y'all. That's what wins. So how do we get reconnected? Maybe today you're here and you'd say, I feel like I've lost connection with God. I don't have that in me that says, I I need to share my faith. I need to be doing something for Christ. I just don't have that, Kyle. How? How do I reconnect? So here's three things that show you how to connect. Number one, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in this word, in prayer, in fellowship. If you find yourself out of any of those three, you're in desperate lack of connection. You have to connect If you ever find yourself saying, no one can speak over my life, let me just tell you what that means. It means that there is no life found in you. We all need refinement. We all need a challenge. We all need something in our lives that sharpens us. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We got to have that in our life. So we have to seek the Lord. The next, change direction and actions. This is called repentance. I didn't want to put that down because that's a really fancy church word. But it means to stop in your track, turn around, and go the opposite direction. you got to change your direction and your actions. If you want to reconnect with the Lord, you can't be doing the things you used to do. Uh, Jason shared that in his testimony. After following Christ as a, a young man, he, he was seeing that there was a lack of connection there, and he, he wanted it, he yearned for it. When he connected with Christ, Christ changed his actions. So you got to stop your direction. you got to start noticing things in your spiritual walk. You start making an inventory of your walk. How is my time in the Word? How is my time in prayer? How is my, my fellowship connection to the church? How am I doing in, in relationship to my actions? Make an inventory. Search, is, is there anything in me that needs to be refined? Maybe there's something in us today that would be like Psalms. Lord, search me and find if there's any offensive way in me. Do you feel it today that if, if we really are serious, if we really are going to go for Christ, if we're going to hit the start button at some point, it starts when you and I start to get serious in our walk with him. There's a man in our church named Jesse. I was a high schooler in our church, and, and uh, Jesse was there for us. He just had that something. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he showed up at church, and he, it just, when you walked close to him, it felt like, 
if all of a sudden you could listen to his heartbeat, it would be like beating I'll Fly Away or Amazing Grace. He just had that something. When he prayed, it was like music played in the background. When he read scripture, it was like he was reading it as though he read it a million times. When he talked about scripture with us, it just seemed like he had studied every seminary course ever made. Jesse had it. And as a high schooler, I wanted it. I wanted to be like Jesse. Jesse one day asked a few of us high schoolers to come to his house. So we loaded up. There's about four of us in my, my Cadillac El Dorado. And uh, we rolled up to Jesse's house and got out. And in his truck, there were these large stones. And he said, boys, there's 12 stones in the back of my truck. I'm going to make an altar in my backyard where I pray to the Lord. Would y'all go help me set them up? I can't move them by myself. I remember setting the stones and he'd say, I need you to turn it this way or that way. And we set it up and he said, boys, thank you. Before we leave, why don't y'all get on your knees and pray with me? We were high school guys. Jesse was 87. And in his backyard, we got on our knees and for about 45 minutes, Jesse prayed over our city over our church, over each of us by name. I can still hear that prayer. You know why? Jesse had it. And I wanted it. Today, you know people that just have Jesus all over them. If you squeezed them, grape juice and and crackers would come out of them. (laughs) They just have it. And today, do you want it? Do you have a desire in you that says, I want to be filled by God in such a way that when anybody encounters me, I want to be that light. I want to show them Jesus. Do you have that insatiable desire today to see Jesus alive in you? If so, we need to connect with him. He is always waiting. He is filled to the brim, ready to pour into your life and into the lives of others. I promise you this, if you want to see Jesus move this week in your life, ask him. He will do it. He desires to do it. He's waiting for you to just ask the question, will you be filled by Jesus today? Will you be changed by him today? Or will you simply allow Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to happen with no effect? I believe that Jesus can change your life. I believe that Jesus can change the world through you. And I believe it should start right now. Today, in your life and in mine. We believe Jesus can change lives. Amen. I agree with you. So don't just say, I'm okay with that. Ask for it today. Plead before God for it today and be changed by him forever today. If you will take one step, he'll take a million towards you. I promise you, he desires to change your life. So go. Today is the day to go. Today is the day to be filled by him. Today is the day to change our world. Not because we have it, but because he always has. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, Only you, God, can change lives. But God, you use us, and you want to. God, you want to mobilize your kingdom. God, God, start it with us. Start it in me. Start it with my church family here at Quell Creek. Lord, start it today.
We believe that you can change lives, so praise God. You're going to start with us. Fill us today, Lord. Change our lives. In your name we pray it. Amen.